Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to Ask a Catholic Dude. It's that show where you ask that Catholic dude, that's me, anything you may have on your mind regarding the Catholic faith, scripture, tradition, the church, what have you, uh, feel free to call in here on the Anchor.fm app. And thank you for listening on whatever device or app you may be on, Google Play, iTunes, or Anchor FM. Um, You can download the Anchor app uh, for call-ins over at anchor.fm. So today I am back with some more of the awesome interviews I had at the Focus Conference last week in downtown Chicago that was presented by Focus is the Fellowship of Catholic University Students and just, you know, thousands, over 8,000 young Catholics there. And it was just, I was blessed to be able to have the opportunity to go there. I met so many great people and talked to so many great people. And this was one of the highlights for me, uh, this, this particular interview. Because, you know, me and my wife are big fans of this guy. Um, and if, if you guys are... Catholic, I guess you'll know kind of who he is if you're Catholic and you know you you watch social media and whatnot. You'll be familiar with Father Mike Schmitz. Uh, Father Mike Schmitz from Ascension Presents. He has an awesome podcast, and the podcasts are also uploaded as videos on YouTube. And he has tons of great writings on his website, on his blog, on his blog, uh, Bulldog Catholic. And he's a diocesan priest of the uh, Diocese of Duluth, and he is just an all-around awesome guy. You know, and he's he's a younger guy too, and he's. Uh, just so nice to talk to and it was it was a pleasure to meet him and an honor to interview him um and it's it was on the subject mostly of a new book that he just put out called made for love same-sex attraction and the catholic church now this is a topic that is of course you know it's a hot button issue in in our western culture now especially here in in the u.s and father mike is I think one of the best pastors out there because he understands that we need to be sensitive about this issue, that we need to talk about persons, not experiences, not something that a person experiences. He stresses that that we always have to talk about persons and because we're talking about persons when we bring up this issue, we have to treat them with the utmost respect and sensitivity. And but he proclaims the truth Despite his the, despite his his compassionate heart, he, he proclaims the truth, which is compassionate in itself. I don't want there to be any false dichotomy between truth and compassion. He he preaches the truth compassionately, clearly, and courageously. And I asked him uh, several questions regarding why he wrote the book, and some common questions that people who are accepting of relationships between same-sex persons he gave some answers that i think will really help us understand why the church's stance is what it is and why the church teaches that sexual actions outside of marriage are sinful and since two men and two women cannot marry therefore any relations between them would be sinful and a lot of people get they get stuck on that they, they really do and I think that Father Mike just gives a, a passionate and compassionate defense of the faith and also reminds us again to treat the issue sensitively to treat these persons as people of God because they are we're, we're, we're all on this road together we're all trying to get to heaven 
and Father Mike, I, he just grounds it so well. And I, like I said, just I, I'm I'm honored to have gotten to sit down and talk with him. So I'm gonna turn it over to him now, um, or well, to me and him, I guess, since I was kind of sitting <laughs> with him. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it over to us. I guess I'll say us, and we'll let Father Mike speak for himself and um, answer some of the arguments against the church's stance on this issue. Uh, so I thank you guys for listening. Please share and. Again, feel free to call in at any time uh, on the Anchor.fm app. Thanks for listening to Ask Catholic Dude. Test one, two, similance, one, two. <laughs> you were looking good. Okay, uh, hi everyone. Today I have uh, Father Mike Schmitz here with me from Ascension Presents. He is the author of a new book, uh, Made for Love, Same-Sex Attraction in the Catholic Church and the Catholic Church. Uh, Father Mike, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to me today. It's my honor and pleasure, Nick. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Um, so, as evidenced by your reception at your address yesterday, uh, you've become a leading figure in Catholic media. When you first started recording your videos and podcasts, did you ever think you would reach so many people and touch so many hearts? Um, no. <laughs> the, the simple answer is no, I did not. Uh, in fact, I, I, it's when people ask, like, how did you start that? You know. Um, I had been on campus for about two years, and it was roughly 2006, 2007, and um, so I got on campus in 2005, and some students were like, hey, you should record these. I'm like, why? <laughs> I said, no, we'll put them online. I was like, that seems a little self-aggrandizing. i like, I don't, we don't need to do that. And they're like, no, 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 do this, and you don't have to do anything. Just press record, and you know, we'll figure it out, we'll post it, and we'll manage it. Okay, that seems weird, but okay. And, um, and that just kind of like really... Uh, seemed to help some folks and then same with Ascension is they had contacted me after I worked with them on a couple projects like uh, Chosen which is a confirmation prep program and alteration and they had said uh, would you we, we were launching this new website called Ascension Presents we would really like you know and they described what the videos would be would you be interested and like okay let me think about it and pray about it and like okay sure and so it's been really helpful because um, I didn't come up with any of these ideas, so I feel like I'm not really on the line here at all. I'm not responsible for anything that happens. Um, but it is just a gift because that way um, I get, I think in some ways it, it saves me from getting caught in the trap of like, I need to manage this and I need to you know, make sure it's like, I don't know, more than it is. I just let the Lord do what he wants to do with it. Well, that, that's awesome. I, mean, I think many people are very glad that you said yes and went along with it because it's, it's reached so many people. Thanks. Um, so now you have a new book, uh, like, like I mentioned, out. It's called Made for Love, Same Subtraction, um, and the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. I was hoping to get it for Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's sold out everywhere. <laughs> and I uh, was supposed to have six copies to bring here, oh. and they didn't come in the mail, and I'm like, nuts, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm hoping it'll be back in stock soon. Um, so I was just wondering if you could maybe tell us a little bit about the book, why you wrote it. You know, was it a response to anything in particular, or have you been planning on releasing something like this for a while? Right. So, um, great question. I years ago, actually many many years ago, I um, through a number of personal relationships and friendships and family members and whatnot, I really had a sense. It was placed on my heart as a, at a young age that this would be an issue that would that I would not just an issue but that this would be a reality that many people that I know and care about uh, experience on a daily basis. And so even when I went to seminary, I remember thinking like, no, I need to figure this out. Like I need to um, understand what it is the church teaches and why it is the church teaches this and then how we can you know, love people better and call them to holiness um, regardless of where they're at. 
whether there's someone who experiences same-sex attraction or, or whether this happens a lot, whether there's someone who wants to be faithful but they love someone or they know someone or they're related to someone who experiences same-sex attraction. Like, how do, I, how do I stay in this church that seems to hate my little sister or seems to you know, uh, say my, my uncle is wrong or whatever the thing is? Yeah. And so I thought, um, this has been a place in my heart. And then what happened was, uh, as a priest, I found we had a ton of great youth and great young adults who encountered Jesus in a powerful way that transformed their lives. They knew the truth of the Eucharist. They knew the truth of the church and all this beauty. But then they hit this issue and they would say, yeah, I'm out. And they would just leave. And I was like, oh my gosh, we need to do something. So uh, that one of the big first steps I had taken was um, I was at this youth event and they said, what do you want to preach about to you know, these like 1,500, 2,000 youths? And uh, I said, I think this is the issue. This is the one that is important. They recorded it, and then Lighthouse made it into a, a, a CDA. And it's the very confusing title, in, uh, From Love, By Love, For Love. Was that in 2016, Father? It, it was a few years before that, I think. Okay, okay, I'm thinking of a different talk. And yeah, and in 2016, like, there was a summertime where it was, I think, the Steubenville conferences yes, the had asked me to speak on the same issue. And so it's a slightly different version of a kind of a little similar topic. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, people at Lighthouse got hold of this DVD, or got hold of the recording, made some DVDs, and then Ignatius Press said, we really think you should make this into a book. And so I'm like, well, that seems difficult. <laughs> said, it's a piece of cake, you already have the talk. I'm like a one hour talk to a full length book might be a little stretch. But over the course of then years of like praying through this and, and writing and rewriting, uh, just became clear again that the main objectives of being, okay, what does the church teach? Why does the church teach this? Now how do I articulate this and how can a person live this who, uh, when this touches their life? And so the, the big call is that, is, that comes back to this is, is discipleship in Jesus. And the big call is holiness. The big call is that you're made for love regardless of where you're at, regardless of your experience, regardless of your story, um, that your, your actual story is your origin and your destiny. And so you know, where you come from, who you are and where you're headed. Um, are far more important than, uh, I mean, the details of our lives are important. Our experiences are important. They're very valuable. My experiences can't define me. And that's one really, it's in one of the chapters of the book, talks about that, that what do I allow to define me? Is it my experiences? Because think about this, think about someone who's been hurt by the, through the cruelty of others. And they've been denigrated um, in how people have treated them. Well, if my experiences define me, well, then that's who I am. Um, if I, or, or if I've chosen to the wrong thing, if I've gone down this path that I shouldn't have gone down, if my experiences define me, then that's who I am. But if I can be defined by something more, by my origin, by the fact that, okay, wait, I've been made, and you've been made on purpose by a God who loves you. Uh, you've been defined by your end, which is like, yeah, you're made to live with that God forever. And then your identity becomes like, that means what? That means I'm created on purpose. If you're a Christian, I've been recreated as a son or daughter of God himself. And so even if my experience or even if my story has a lot of brokenness in it, and I think a lot of ours do, and even if my experience or my story has a lot of even like pain and like attraction to whatever, it doesn't matter. My identity is, is not that. And I can rise above that. I can live it. It's part of my story. But um, that's not the end of my story. Does that, make, does that make sense? I think that makes perfect sense. Because um, I remember you actually bringing up that very point in, in, in your, uh, your talk. Um, and, and one of the things that, you know, you, you said that, you know, young people might just like, well, this is the issue for me that breaks camel's yeah. back. So in the book, um, 
at least from reading the back of the book, yeah. <laughs> you talk about uh, nature and the ends of human sexuality. Yeah. Many people today in our culture just reject, flat reject that notion that there are such things as natural ends, that they think that we can fashion anything around it to whatever use we see fit. Yeah. How do you respond to someone who doesn't believe that there are natural ends? Yeah, I think, well, I, I think one of the first steps I like to, the first two things is to demonstrate where there are natural ends, where there is intrinsic into a thing. It's like, so what's, what's the end of that digestive system? It is to digest food and to you know, nourish your body. So you recognize, okay, no, that, there's a, this is intrinsic and proper to the thing itself. But then also demonstrate where, yeah, we do, we can use things that have in and of themselves intrinsic ends for our own purposes, provided that those purposes don't violate the end for which the thing was created. Right. And so when you can demonstrate that, you know, yeah, there are times when you can um, use, like I use, you know, the, the chair, the table, the kind of the thing. Yes. It's like, yeah, there's times you can, we can sit on this table. Um, yeah, this, you're right, you can use it for another purpose. But I also have to recognize that I can't at the same time, at the same point, violate that original end or the original intention or the original uh, intrinsic purpose of um, the thing itself and uh, without violating the thing itself. Right, yeah. right. So that, that would be the I got you. No, that, I mean, that's, that's a great way to word it and I, I just wish I could put it so eloquently to some people. <laughs> I appreciate that, yeah. Kind of, um, on another kind of note on the same subject, though, I think one of the reasons so many people today are confused about the church's teaching regarding sexual acts between members of the same sex is that, unfortunately, there are a number of pastors either obscuring the issue or are in outright opposition to church teaching. Um, I'd like to read a portion of a comment from one priest in a Facebook Live video where he replies to a caller asking how one is to respond to another person citing portions of Leviticus or Corinthians condemning homosexuality. Mm -hmm. um, I hope you don't mind if I read no, a go, decent portion of this yeah. answer, um, just to get the full take on it. So the priest responds, and I quote, All these Bible passages people throw at you, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and even the stuff in the New Testament where Paul talks about it once or twice, has to be understood in their historical context. The Bible is written in a particular time. It's the inspired word of God, but it is written, certainly, in a particular time and in a particular historical context. Certainly in Old Testament times, they didn't understand the phenomena of homosexuality and bisexuality, I would say, as we do today. I'd also like to say that there's a lot of other stuff in Leviticus that we sort of understand in its historical context, like what kind of slaves can we have, whether or not we can wear certain kinds of clothes, whether or not our crops can be grown next to one another. We don't look at these passages in an ahistorical way, so why should we look at passages on homosexuality that way? And I'd also like to say that in his three-year public ministry, Jesus says nothing about the topic. This is an argument one would expect to hear from someone who hasn't studied scripture. Mm -hmm. How would you respond to such a commentary on scripture? Yeah, that's great. That's a great question. Because I think that's, that's uh, so Matthew Vines is a young man who wrote a book called God and the Gay Christian. And basically that, the, the entire uh, gist of his, his book is he's trying to maintain this, uh, this particular reading of scripture. Um, there are a number of ways to, to begin. Uh, I may be in reverse to say Jesus is si the argument from silence is one of the worst arguments you can have. Is that because I didn't? Jesus also didn't comment on recycling. He didn't comment on nuclear bombs. He didn't comment on. I mean, he didn't comment on a lot of things. Um, and so his silence 
could you even, a person could just as adamantly argue that his silence on the topic indicates that the, his time's perspective on homosexual acts was so, um, so universally accepted and so endorsed by him that he didn't feel a need to comment on it. I mean, you could, you could just as easily make that, 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 that statement. Um, but again, it would be an argument for silence. And so let's not do that. When it comes to uh, the Old Testament, say Leviticus, um, it is, uh, it's troubling to me sometimes when people just lump Leviticus as like one general book as opposed, it is one book, but there are divisions in that book with regard to different kinds of laws. And those laws are very clearly indicated. Uh, it's very clear when you read Leviticus, Leviticus and understand it that, oh, these are laws regarding the temple. Okay, great. These are laws, strictly speaking, regarding um, uh, life in the kingdom of Israel or in the community of Israel. And these are laws that have to do with all human living. If you want to go to the, the commandments in regarding you know, homosexual activity, those are clearly referencing not just the Jewish people, but the entire community surrounding the Jewish people as well, including the Canaanites and whatnot. And it's so interesting that people are like, well, no, it's all the same. It's all right there. Because one, one uh, verse is this, and the next verse is th the next thing. But they're not the same kind of thing. And so it just involves a little bit more nuance. Not nuance in the sentimental gymnastics or like trying to um, like make an argument that doesn't exist. But like when the text itself, in the language of the text itself, points to a deeper, a necessity of having a deeper understanding and reading of the, of the text, then it kind of indicates something to us. Lastly, um, people continue to say, we didn't understand back then that there is uh, such a thing as like pervasive homosexual feelings or bisexual attractions. I would maintain that that's not very historical. I would maintain that there are a number of cases in those cultures, Mesopotamian cultures and Greek culture, Roman culture, where it was maybe not understood from a psychology in the sense that we have psychology now, but they were very accustomed, very familiar with homosexual actions um, that were mutually consenting. And so to say that, um, oh, that was only between you know, older men and young boys, uh, if that happened, but to say that's only that, it seems to, in some ways, be um, historically insincere, intellectually dishonest. Lastly, I already said lastly, but I'm going to say it again. Um, I would say that we would take into account the entirety of, not just this, this biblical text says X, Y, and Z. We would take into account what is the whole, what's the framework for the entire scriptures. The framework for the entire scriptures is it begins with the wedding, it ends with the wedding. It begins with that wedding of man and woman, Adam and Eve, it ends with the wedding of, you know, in a certain sense, male and female, or a certain sense, uh, the masculine and feminine, the, the bridegroom, Christ, and the bride, the church. And all throughout, the, the template is male-female. The template throughout the whole scriptures is male-female, male-female. So to say that this, this is anachronistic or ahistorical, to read this text or that text out of context, you'd say, well, no, the context itself is going to be that men and women created in both in God's image and likeness in a complementary way that um, is unique amongst, um, it's just really unique and is, is, is absolutely clear in 
in a thorough reading of scripture, I really recommend um, Dr. Mary Healy. She's written a very short book. Um, I think it's called, oh gosh, it's um, Mercy, Sex, and the New Testament, or I should get the name oh, of it. I'll have to look it, I'll yeah. have to look it up. Yeah. yeah, I'll look her but up. But Dr. Mary Healy, she's a genius, and she's a scripture scholar, and, and she answers all of these issues in a really concise way that is just, um, it, it's, it's really, really uh, powerful and, and valuable. That's great. No, that's awesome. And I think that is a very powerful response that you yourself gave. Um, just, just to uh, make sure I'm on the same page. So when somebody is saying, okay, we used to, or Jews used to, uh, you know, uh, put uh, two fabrics together. There was a command against that and a command against that. But then when we get to the stuff on, say, incest or some uh, homosexual sex acts, we're talking two different things, right? So one of them is like a like a, a different a law that was only applying to Jews, but then these laws are applying to everyone as a whole universally. Yeah, yeah. and even even if, if it's only separated by one verse, the language that's in that text or language that's in that verse uh, is indicative of a, a greater greater commandment. I see. So yesterday you made a really great exhortation in your, your talk to all of us here at Focus at the Focus Conference. You exhorted us to make an intentional friend, to see something that you long for in a person, um, and to set out to make them your friend and become close so as to grow in virtue. I, I totally agree with you on all this, and it's something I want to do, but I realize in our oversex culture, and this is especially true for guys, mm -hmm. close friendships of the same sex are looked upon with sus suspicion. So if two guys are close, the first thought is like, What's going on with these guys? Mm -hmm. Sadly, and I'm ashamed because I've thought the same thing at certain points too. Mm -hmm. And I think of St. Gregory Nanzianzen and St. Basil, who's feasting yeah. celebrated. And I, the other day, yeah. and, and I read their, uh, his sermon in the office, and I was like, holy crap, no man would ever say these things about his friend today in, in such affectionate terms. Yeah. How, do we, how do young men today get past this roadblock that our culture has set up for us so we can get to virtuous relationships like St. Gregory and St. Basil? Yeah, I think two things, at least, to start. One is, um, in certain, we are uh, in a, it's an over-sexualized, hyper-sexualized culture. And so what happens is we sexualize everything. Now, this coffee is sexy and that, that car is so you know, attractive and gets your motor running. Like, okay, wait, well, how about this? How about we just, we don't need to sexualize everything. And so for a person to simply make the distinction of like, yeah, no, I'm really, I'm a brother in Christ or my, the person I'm running with or here's this woman who's like my sister in Christ my sister I'm running with um, like no I mean we have boundaries there because this is not a sexual relationship uh, and so just make that really clear in your own head and heart because I have, I have seen virtuous friendships uh, that transformed into becoming like that's the only physical these, between these two women whatever because uh, they didn't have boundaries and then it gets recovered because they believe, belong to Christ and realize well that was weird we did not mean to go there um, and it gets redeemed. The other thing is um, when it becomes more about pursuit of virtue than it does about the friendship is, is the way you want to go. So like I, I, I'm not uh, pursuing virtuous friendship because I want the friendship. I'm pursuing virtuous friendship because I want the virtue. And as a, as a byproduct of that, I get one of the greatest gifts in human life, which is that deep relationship. Right. Uh, but that in some ways, in some ways is still a byproduct of that pursuit of a greater good. Um, which is why that friendship itself can be a greater good. And, and once, once I pursue the friendship for itself, it becomes a lesser, it seems a good, but it becomes a lesser good. That's a good point, that's a very good point. Thank you so much for your time today, Father. Absolutely. It was a great talking with you, thank you Thanks, so Thanks Nick, much. I appreciate it.